Father, we thank you for this part of God's word. We thank you for all of Romans. Uh, we thank you for uh, the clear rationale that it gives us uh, to help us understand who we are, who you are, what you've done for us, who you've made us in Christ, uh, the way that you've blessed us in Christ, the way that you've taken away uh, uh, our sin and our condemnation, and that in, in its place you've given us peace, peace with you and peace with each other, all the riches of the hope of heaven uh, and a new life to live. Uh, Father, we ask that you will help us to understand a particular aspect of that new life uh, together this morning uh, and help us to have uh, soft hearts, hearts that can be aware of where we're falling short in these ways and also want to change and know that your, the gospel is your power, not only for salvation, but also for transformation. Uh, that we might become more like Jesus and we, we might become a community uh, that is more like Jesus and reflects your love for us in our relationships with each other and as uh, those who don't know the love of Jesus uh, see us come into contact with us that they uh, might learn how great your love is. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's an old saying, I imagine you've heard it or perhaps some version of it. It goes something like this, very simple. Never judge a man until you've walked a mile in his shoes. Now, I've heard different versions, walked a mile in his moccasins, uh, walked a mile in his sandals, whatever, doesn't really matter. Never, the principle is clear, never judge a man or a woman until you've walked a mile in their shoes, until you've lived their life. Now, I will never forget uh, one of our Bible college lecturers explaining the deep, deep wisdom uh, in, this, uh, in this little parable. Uh, if you think about it, if you walk a mile in another man's shoes before you judge him, first of all, you'll be a mile away. So there's nothing he can do to come back at you. And secondly, you'll have his shoes. So, uh, you know, it's a win-win really, isn't it? Uh, actually, of course, that's not really what uh, that line is about. Uh, it's really about the danger of presuming. It's really about the danger of only ever seeing things from your own perspective and not considering uh, things from others' perspectives. It's really about the value of compassion, about the value of caring for somebody else. It's really about empathy uh, and, and being willing to set aside your views and consider things, at least for a time, from the view of somebody else. Well, I reckon that today's passage goes beyond that little saying, because as you might notice, that's not a saying from the Bible, it's just kind of worldly wisdom. And this passage takes us a step further in uh, helping us to see that there are some matters in which compassion and empathy will teach us not, in fact, to judge another one at all. So, so you know, the saying says, until you've walked a mile in your shoes. Well, I think we are encouraged that on certain issues, we are not to judge another at all. Uh, rather, we are to love each other. We're to serve each other. In fact, we are to sacrifice for each other. That's what we're encouraged uh, to do. Sacrifice our preferences, sacrifice our tastes uh, for each other so that as we heard in the kids talk, uh, our, we might grow and grow together as love grows among us. Now, uh, we need to uh, head back to Rome, of course, uh, to understand what Paul was talking about, the, the circumstances that he was describing in this passage uh, in chapter 14 and chapter 15. 
And as we've seen already quite a few times, the big difference in the church in Rome between the members was that there were some who came from a Jewish background and there were some who came from a Gentile background. And that was a huge difference. In fact, I think it's almost impossible for us to appreciate how big a cultural difference, how big a religious difference that was. Uh, to try to bring those two groups of people with those diverse backgrounds together was challenging, challenging in all sorts of ways. Uh, and what is in this uh, chapter today helps us to understand some of the particular issues that that first big difference uh, raised. And uh, to help us understand what was going on this morning, I'm just going to, I brought some friends along. Uh, and I have to say thank you to Lily this morning for uh, lending me uh, her friends uh, to help us think about this. So uh, who I've got this morning is, this is Strong Stella, okay? Strong Stella is the redhead and uh, Weak Willow. Now that sounds a bit like a judgment, doesn't it? But it's not, it's not meant to be. Uh, we're using the, the language from the passage here. Paul's talking about those who are strong in faith and those who are weak in faith. But he's not making a judgment call on that. In fact, what he's doing is he's calling the strong to use their strength in a very countercultural way. He's calling the strong to use their strength to serve, to serve those who are weak. Now, uh, I did aim for names that we don't have in our church. Uh, so I don't think we've got a Stella and I don't think we've got a Willow. My apologies if there's anyone tuning in with those names and who feels that this is meant to represent them. It's not. Uh, you could think that, you know, I've chosen the redhead to be the strong one uh, and that there's some judgment in that, but, um, you know, you work that out for yourselves. Okay. Uh, now, here's a conversation that could have happened and that I think probably was happening, or at least some version of it, in the church in Rome. Here we go. Oh, g'day, Willow. Hey, Willow, barbecue at my place tonight. Are you coming? Oh, really? That's great. I'd love to come to your barbecue. Can I bring anything? Don't worry about it, Willow. I've got it all covered. We've got pork. We've got bacon. Uh, we've got a great salad. It's got like prosciutto and chorizo and three types of salami. It's going to be awesome. Oh, um... Do you reckon I could bring some eggplant and mushrooms? Oh, that's a great idea, Willow. Yeah, bring some eggplant and mushrooms. Have you ever had eggplant and mushrooms cooked in bacon fat? Mm -mm. Um, that's not really what I had in mind, Stella. Aren't you forgetting something? Uh, no, 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 actually, oh, no, I know what you mean. No, no, I checked, it's all gluten-free. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm sorry, Stella, but I just don't think I can come. What? Everybody's going to be there. Um, but Stella, I'm just not sure that it's right still to, you know, eat pig. Because, like, you know, I'm Jewish and we've never eaten pig. Yeah, I know. that. But, like, you know, you're kind of, you're Jewish, but you're Christian now, right? So it doesn't matter anymore. Oh, yeah, look, I have heard about that, but oh, I still feel really uncomfortable about it. I just, I just don't think I could do it. Oh, what's wrong with you, Willow? Come on, didn't you get the memo? Everything's different now. It's all okay. And come on, you have, have you, you've never tasted bacon? 
one taste, you'll never turn back. Uh, okay. Come on, let's go. I can't believe I'm going to eat pig. <laughs> now, I think that that's the kind of thing that was going on and that Paul is describing here uh, in Romans chapter 14. Do you see what's happened? See, strong Stella, she actually had the facts right. She actually had the facts right. It's true that even though in the Old Testament uh, it was uh, prohibited uh, to eat meat from pigs and all sorts, there were all sorts of other uh, meat laws, because God had this plan that he was now going to have a people that wasn't just one nation but people from every nation, some of those particular laws that were about uh, their national identity and their religious identity were now no longer to be an issue. They were no longer to be a cause of division in the church. So Stella had it right. She had the facts right. And we can go to Mark chapter 7, if you want to have a look at that later, where Jesus makes that very clear. Uh, and that's why Paul can say in, uh, in Romans 14, verse 14, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that's what he's talking about, that nothing is unclean in itself. So uh, Stella has the facts straight in that regard. But she wasn't being compassionate or loving towards her friend, towards Willow, uh, who is also a member of the church. Have a look at the second half of verse 14 of Romans 14. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. And that might sound a little bit confusing, but here's the deal. You see, for Willow, she felt in her conscience that it still wouldn't be right, that is, that God would still not be pleased if she ate pork. As someone who was Jewish and yet had accepted Christ, she felt that it still wouldn't be right. And she couldn't kind of push past that. Uh, it's probably important to remember that at the time it's quite, well, they didn't have the New Testament as we think of it. Uh, the New Testament was still uh, an oral word and not a, more than a written word at that time. The letters and the gospels hadn't been all collected into uh, the scriptures. They had the teaching of the apostles handed down from mouth to mouth, uh, but they didn't have what we enjoy in this full complete Bible of ours. And so uh, we need to understand some of those dynamics. And so uh, Willow still had uh, this feeling, this belief that it wouldn't be right for her. In fact, that she would be sinning if she did. So for her, she would actually have to do something that she believed God didn't want her to do. In other words, she would have to be choosing to disobey God in her own mind and in her own heart. And it would be Stella who would be encouraging her to do that. Do you see the problem? Do you see why that's wrong? Do you see why it's unloving uh, for Stella to behave in the way that she did? And the result of it is that they both end up being in the wrong. Stella, because she hasn't been loving towards Willow, and Willow, because she has sinned against her own conscience, as it were. That's the sort of stuff that was going down and that's the sort of thing that Paul is really wanting to address. And he's particularly speaking 
to the strong, the strong, those who have it right, those who have the facts straight, uh, but also need to act in line with it in love. Uh, and so we could reenact, I won't for time's sake, but we could reenact that scene. And in the reenactment, if Stella found out that Willow had, was still holding on to those issues, she would have said, ah, okay. And she wouldn't have just said, oh, okay, well, you don't have to eat the pork. Uh, she would have said, okay, I'll tell you what, let's do lamb instead, <laughs> you know? And that would have been okay. Doing that, she would have sacrificed her own tastes and her own plans uh, because she was loving and being compassionate towards her sister and she didn't want to cause her sister to stumble. That is to cause her sister to do something that, that would kind of uh, harden her conscience against God and make her think, oh, maybe it's okay to do things that I don't think are right before God. If that happened, then they would be loving uh, each other and particularly Stella would be loving uh, Willow. Have a look at chapter 15 verses 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And that's hard, isn't it? Not to please ourselves. I mean, everything in us teaches us, please yourself. Every message from outside of us teaches us, please yourself. But here, God teaches us not to please ourselves. Why? Because it's better for each other sometimes. Each of us, verse 2, should please our neighbours. Wow, that turns everything upside down. It's, it's a completely, complete reversal uh, to our way of thinking. Should please our neighbours for their good, which is what? To build them up. To build them up, as we heard in the kids' talk. Not, not to grow them in stature, but to grow them in Christ. To build them up in Christ. And we learn that from Christ, verse 3. For even Christ did not please himself. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that, you know, Christ was the most selfish person, but even he didn't please himself. It means that Christ was the greatest person. He was the one who had every right to please himself, as it were. And yet he lowered himself and he served those who were weak. Even Christ chose not to please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. In other words, uh, the, the harm that we deserved from others, he took on himself that we might be built up, that we might be edified. Uh, and the result of that uh, is the result of, of when love flows is peace and mutual edification, which again is what we saw in the kids' talk. Verse 19, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. And the final result, chapter 15, verses 6 and 7, so with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. A united body together glorifying God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ by this radical, other person-centred, sacrificial life of love that we've been taught to live by the sacrifice of Jesus. And so in conclusion, verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. Now, I don't reckon there is one person listening today 
who doesn't recognise how good that is, or at least who doesn't realise how good that would be if we lived that way. And yet, and yet it's really hard to do it. It's really hard to not please ourselves and instead to choose to please the other person. We can come up with all sorts of excuses to assert our rights, can't we? I mean, think of Stella. But you're wrong. Why should we do what isn't actually based on truth? Let's just do what, get it together. And we can do that too. So how can we change? Well, I reckon there are at least uh, four steps that this passage teaches us to take. Uh, the first step is to accept, accept the fact that love almost always, in fact, I would say always, true love always involves sacrifice. Uh, true love always involves giving something of yourself for another person, giving up something for another. It means saying no to ourselves so that we can say yes to each other. This is exactly what Jesus meant when he said that anyone who wants to be his disciple must first deny themselves. You've you got to get into that space if you're going to be a follower of Jesus. You deny yourself so that we can, so that we can carry our cross and follow Jesus. So that's the first thing. The first step we have to take is to understand what love really is. That it's not just a feeling of warmth that sort of generates kindness. Rather, it's a decision that we're no longer going to live for ourselves. We're going to live for others, and that'll involve sacrifice. Uh, the second thing is that we need to re remember that the position of judge has already been taken. Do you notice how that language of judgment's in this passage and how we're not to judge one another? And the reason we can do that is because we understand that the position of judge belongs to God alone. Uh, when we judge each other, we overestimate our own wisdom and we also take God's place. Have a look at verses 10 and 12 of chapter 14. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you treat them with contempt? Because we're all going to stand before God's judgment seat. Remember that? As it is written, surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. God's the judge and he doesn't give us that authority, especially when it comes to these disputable matters. So God has that authority and we shouldn't take it from him, take his place. And when we judge each other, we are taking his place. Third thing, uh, we need to understand, and, and this could be the biggest thing, we need to understand what's at stake. When we elevate disputable matters to something that we're going to insist upon, and in the process we cause someone else to stumble. From verse 13, we read, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Uh, literally, what that says uh, in, in the Greek is, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, judge this. Do not put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. In other words, stop judging one another. Instead, judge yourself. Judge your own actions. Judge your own heart. 
and consider whether you might be causing someone else to stumble. And then Paul paints a stark contrast of the consequences of this stumbling that he's talking about. Uh, from uh, verse 15, the second half of the verse, do not by your eating, remember that's the issue going on in Rome, do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. And again, verse 20, do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. That's a stark contrast, isn't it? He says you, you have the potential by causing someone to stumble, by causing them to sin against their own conscience and growing a hard heart towards God, you have the potential to destroy somebody, to lead them down a very dangerous and slippery path. And for what? So you could eat pig or whatever it might be, you know, so that you can just have your taste satisfied. I think it's really important that we understand that even though these are disputable matters, in a sense, matters that don't matter, if we elevate them and insist upon them, we can actually cause great damage to other people, to real people, people that we're actually called to love and sacrifice for. We can turn them into a sacrifice to our own idols and our own tastes and our own preferences. You can see, you can feel how wrong that is. What is more important? Insisting that we get what we want or helping a brother or sister to grow in Christ and to avoid judgment. Paul is not being overly dramatic here. There is a lot at stake and we need to understand that. It'll help us to love each other. It'll help us to make the sacrifices that we need in order to love. And fourth, uh, we need to see this call that we are to make every effort. This isn't something that we just kind of let happen. It's something that we have to devote ourselves to do. It's not easy work, so we have to devote ourselves to doing it. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. In other words, no stumbling blocks, only building blocks. We've got to be proactive in working out how can I help that brother or sister to grow up in Christ? What might the next step look like for them along the way and how could I help them in that? Now, there's a fair bit of theory in there, I guess, and uh, we don't uh, experience the same issue that the Roman church experienced because our difference isn't the same, if that makes sense. They had the Jew-Gentile issue going on, uh, for us here in Australia in the 20th century, in Arundel, uh, that is not a big issue. So what, how could we apply this then to our circumstances? What is the big difference that we face? What is the big difference in our church? Now, there are some really important differences that we need to be mindful of, I think. Uh, race is one of them, and Tony's also already spoken briefly about that. But I reckon that the biggest difference by far, and I think it's in our broader culture as well in Australia, is actually concerning age. I actually think that it's the division between the young and the old that is the biggest division in our culture. I think that in general, Old people often feel 
despised and rejected by younger people. They feel washed up and not valuable. And I think that younger people feel really misunderstood and are not taken seriously and all that sort of stuff by older people. Now, it's a bit of a tricky one because it's not, obviously, we're not just young or old. It's kind of, it's a spectrum and there's everyone in between, like moi. Uh, but I reckon that this issue uh, is a massive one and we just may not detect it because we're kind of good at working around it. One way that we've worked around it here at Arundel is we have an early service. Guess who goes to that? We have a late start. We know who comes to that. And we have a night shift and we know who comes to that. And there's not a whole lot of overlap. That is that we don't have many retirees at night shift and we don't have many young adults and youth at early service, none, in fact. Uh, and late start might be a little bit more mixed, but really it's, it's kind of targeted and that's where our families come. And look, none of these things in and of themselves are bad things, but what we have to be very wary of is whether we are just, to some extent, using them as a workaround. Using them to get around having to confront some of this difference and the issues that it raises. Now, I reckon that even though it was in the context of kids' church that Matt uh, referenced this, I reckon that one of those issues that comes from the difference is to do with music. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and I know that a lot of you listening here today are going, hang on a second, hands off the music. <laughs> now, I should put it out there that I, I and the elders don't have any immediate plans or any even medium-term plans to change the way that our services work here. But I just want to address the heart issue because I think that's what God's word does to us here. You see, there's some things we need to really get clear about music. Firstly, music is good. It's a good gift from God. It's, it's great. It's, it helps helps us to live an emotional life, I think. It helps us to respond to God in a healthy and emotional way. It helps us to engage emotionally with the truth. It helps us to put our head and our heart together. Music's great. But it can be abused in all sorts of different ways. Uh, one way is that we can elevate it you know, from something that's really just, in a sense, a disputable matter to something that we insist upon being a certain way. It can become too important. Here's another fact about music. Music is highly subjective. Uh, by that I mean that it's not a matter of right and wrong. You know, there's not right music and wrong music. I mean, there are extremes, you know, if you just go and smash on a piano, that's wrong, kids, that's wrong. Uh, but, but you know what I mean, it's not a matter of right and wrong. It's not, it's not a matter of good and bad. Music is a matter of taste. You like what you like and somebody else likes what they like. It's a matter of opinion, and you can argue with each other, of course, in a lighthearted, kind of good-natured way about what's good music and what's not. But really, it's just a matter of taste and opinion. Here's another thing to understand. Uh, I think that this is important for everybody to understand, but I think it's perhaps especially important for older people to understand. That is that music tastes 
tend to form at a particular stage of life. When you're sort of young and you're listening to music and it's just starting to get into your life, when you're a teenager, uh, when you're uh, a young adult, that's when your music tastes are forming and you're on trend and you sort of, you know what's new and you know what you like and you've got the latest and you're into that and you think you're always going to be like that. But you're not because then, then your taste set, right? Because what happens is, I don't know exactly what happens, but you stop listening to Triple J uh, and, and you start listening to, to other radio stations right, that, are, that are sort of set up for you. And you start thinking that the good music was what they used to make. Right? Tastes become set. And this happens for everybody. It happens in every generation. Right? So it once happened to old people and it will happen to young people. And we all need to get this in our heads, right? But the same thing happens for all of us, more or less. Another thing we need to understand, this is one that I think that young people really need to understand about older people, generalisation, but here it goes. Loud noises get really difficult for older people, but physically difficult. They, they kind of cause ringing in the ears and they get inside the head and bounce around. Loud noises are really hard for older people. Now, if we start taking all these facts into account in the way that we think about music in the church, if we start having empathy and compassion for each other in the way that different kinds of music might impact other people, then I reckon we might start making progress from demanding that music be a certain way, the way that we like it, and having a radical new attitude that works like this where no matter what the song that is being played or, the, or, or sung, if we're together in this building and we don't even like that particular style of music or that particular song for whatever reason, but we can look around the building and we can see other people who are really singing from their heart and really enjoying and appreciating this music. We go, isn't that great? Isn't that fantastic? that this music is helping my brother or sister to grow and grow in Christ. That's the attitude that Jesus Christ himself, through his own example, encourages us to have. That's how he lives for us. He sets aside his own preferences to serve us. He is the strong one. We are the weak ones. And he accommodates to us. This can happen, folks. We can, we can say that music, it's not doing it for me, but it's doing it for him. <laughs> and I love that. And I rejoice in that because the body is being built up in that. That's just one example. But that attitude can grow in all sorts of different ways as, we, as our concern for the, for the body and for each other starts to outpace and outgrow our concern for ourselves. The... God's mercy is powerful. It transforms. It helps us not to conform to the pattern of the world, but to live a new life, a new life of love and sacrifice and delight in what God is making us to be. Now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your gospel is good news in every way. It's not always the good news that we want to hear, but it is always the good news that we need to hear so that we might grow to be more and more like Jesus. 
Father, help us to take this on board. Help us to recognise what really are disputable matters, what aren't things that we need to hold on to tightly and demand, but rather let go of, hold loosely and be willing to let go of, to look around and consider our impact on others and to consider what's best for others, that they might be built up. We pray that you would give us this heart, help us to repent of the ways that we're not like this yet, to identify them and to get rid of them so that your body and the body of Jesus Christ will be built up in strength and so that the world would come to see more clearly how good you are. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.